Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at and we find ways to laugh at them in the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. In today's special episode, we are featuring Rich Sheridan, the co-founder, CEO, and chief storyteller of Menlo Innovations based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Menlo Innovations is a software designer and IT consulting firm on a mission to end human suffering in the world as it relates to technology and, of course, to delight their customers and bring joy to all who work with and for them. Now, you can learn a little bit more about Menlo Innovations by visiting their website at menloinnovations.com. Rich has several videos up on YouTube where he talks about their culture and how they have uh, broken up the status quo when it comes to the workplace. Now, you're probably wondering why we bring in different leaders, executives, and CEOs as guests on a comedy podcast. Well, the reason's simple. It's because some of the same principles comedians use to be successful are some of the same principles that innovative leaders use to be successful. For example, being willing to show vulnerability in front of their people and their clients, being willing to take risks, make mistakes, ask challenging questions, think outside of the box, and of course build trust with their teams and their clients and customers. Now these outside-of-the-box ways of looking at work are innovative in that for so long too many leaders have tried to be serious and, and have all the answers and know everything. Well, that's, that's not helpful in today's workplace. The world is moving faster than it ever has before and we need to develop skills to adjust and adapt to that. And some of those same skills come into play when a comedian is on stage dealing with a heckler or trying a new joke or trying to figure out how to construct a set list and connect with their audience. The same principles remain true in the workplace, although probably a few less dick jokes, but some of the same principles are still there. So sit back, enjoy this episode with Rich Sheridan, and let us know how you were able to laugh at that. I'm really intrigued by the, the concept of joy. It, the, that word pops up everywhere when your name uh, when your name pops up. There's a, a picture that jumps into people's heads when you hear the word joy. But for those of you know for those of you in the audience who are not familiar with the concept or not familiar with Rich, uh, would you break down what the word joy means to you and how it's different from something like happiness or fun? Yeah, and, and I certainly don't want to diminish happiness and fun because they are integral parts of our lives as well, and we need them, and we certainly need them at Menlo. For me, joy is a much longer arc. Uh, joy is the arc of, particularly in the context of work, joy is an arc of work done well together over a long period of time, delivering results that delight the people it's intended to serve. So much so that they come back later and tell you, I love what you did for me. Because I don't think there's anything worthy we can do in, in our work lives that doesn't involve teamwork, uh, working on something bigger than ourselves, and doing it together. Uh, you know, there's very few things we can do individually anymore. It requires team collaboration, typically over a long period of time in a very complex environment. And... Um, it's, uh, it's, you're not going to be happy every minute of every day. You're not going to be jovial every minute of every day. Um, but there is that deep, unabiding satisfaction from knowing you, you, you did something very worthy and, and compelling. 
it sounds like just kind of like a feedback loop you know you you do good work for other people that brings them that 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 inner that feeling of of inner you know joy and, and well-being um and then it comes back to your people it does i mean you know I, I don't think anybody you know i think one of the biggest challenges in workplaces is uh we often don't complete things or if we get them done and deliver them they kind of fall flat or maybe they never get dispersed uh, maybe they never deliver results maybe nobody ever uses it something like that and there is there might be some satisfaction along the way because you got a bonus or you got a you got a paycheck i mean those are all good things of course but um but ultimately i think uh, we humans are wired to serve others we're, we're wired to delight other people and if we don't get that satisfaction out of our work lives, it ends up feeling pretty hollow after a while. Mm. Yeah, now it seems you have a pretty good understanding of, of human behavior. I mean, you have to in order to kind of lean into some of your, 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 um, you know, a lot of this was a lot of this was born out of pain in my own career. You know, my my kids often ask me like, "Dad, we want to get where you are," and I'm like, "Okay, let me tell you about the 15 years of pain that led to uh, kind of the revelations that I now uh, employ in my company and in my own personal psyche about work." Now, would you would you say without those pains, you wouldn't be where you are? Yeah, I would. I would say that. I. I, I mean. Who knows, right? You don't. I, you can't run that experiment. <laughs> but um, uh, but I think every neg negative experience we have in life can be informative. Right? It can be, hey, I'm not going to do things like that. I'm not going to produce those kind of results. I'm not going to lead others like that. We have choices about everything that uh, has happened to us, and we can take every one of them as lessons. Mm. Yeah, you had that that big sign at Menlo, the make mistakes faster. I love that because I mean, I personally, and I'm I'm sure, even though some people don't want to admit it, make way more mistakes than we you know have successes. But that's what makes those successes so exciting and, and so powerful. I, I love that because I'm also a comedian, and the process of you know making jokes funny is taking them in front of people and falling on your face yeah and uh and learning from that and without that you know there there isn't that that growth now in our society there's kind of a a predisposition we're kind of programmed to look at mistakes and and failures as the worst i mean you know think about going through school you get a bad grade that's the worst thing that can happen yeah whereas i mean study after study have shown that we learn better when we when we make mistakes so with what we're facing right now this is you know something that we didn't necessarily see coming a lot of people weren't ready for it and there have been if, a lot of mistakes if anybody saw this coming i want their names and i say the same thing <laughs> what are the lottery numbers you know tell me where they were yeah so maybe bill gates did in 2015 you know uh, I think we could always predict uh, a pandemic of some sort is going to happen someday, but when exactly and what's it going to look like, we probably can't tell. Right. And, you know, I think the uh, the beauty of life is that we don't have all the answers. And that was the defining moment in human history, you know, when we decided, oh, we don't know everything. So right now, I mean, this is just, it's happened so fast and leaders have been forced to pivot just on a dime. and. Uh, you know, 
mistakes are going to be a byproduct of that. Were, were there any mistakes when it came to how you transitioned to a fully virtual um, work environment? And then how did you yeah. respond? <laughs> um, you know, we have uh, one of our other famous taglines at Menlo is let's run the experiment. Mm-hmm. And I think experimentation is, uh, is a cousin of making mistakes, right? Uh, we should, the very definition of an experiment is you don't know what's going to happen. And so therefore you, you have a notion, you say, I'm running this experiment because I'd love to discover this and see if we can get to there. And maybe you discover something completely different along the way. Uh, and you should be open to that too. Um, yeah, I, I know when, when we had to scramble out of the office and it, it felt like, um, you know, like an earthquake or some sort of natural disaster, I guess probably about the equivalent of a natural disaster where there was no time to plan for it. There was no time to, to um, think what's the best way we can do this. It was just like, get out of the building, get in your homes, take as much stuff as you can with you to make it work and then start discovering what isn't working along the way. And, and what are you going to hang on to? versus what are you gonna let go of, right? And so we are a company that is probably, if, if, if you could cast a dial on, you know, name the most pro-COVID environment there is. I think Menlo Innovations would probably win an award. Uh, work in a big open room together, no walls, no offices, no cubes, no doors. We sit shoulder to shoulder. Uh, we work, in pairs at a single keyboard and mouse, that keyboard and mouse is passing back and forth, talking to each other in close proximity all day long, switching the pairs every five days. So, you know, just in case the person sitting next to you didn't have the contagion, five days from now, they probably will. Um, and, uh, and then we pass around a two-horned plastic Viking helmet at stand-up every single day. So we make sure everybody's touching the same thing every single day. And so this was a radical change for us. And we had built an entire culture based on these principles of teamwork, collaboration, trust, relationship. And it was so easy to foster that in that kind of environment, right? And now suddenly, boom, we're all home. And, you know, people had to figure out really simple things. Is, is my internet connection fast enough to support being in a, in a Zoom meeting? Um, do I have the right number of monitors and that sort of thing? Uh, I remember one of the early failures we saw was uh, we have this daily stand-up every day in the office. It's called by a dartboard on the wall. Uh, you'll see a theme at Menlo. is like, if, if there's something we can do that is fun or funny, <laughs> we will choose it over boring. Uh, and so the dartboard has an alarm clock. The alarm clock goes off at 10 o'clock every day. Bong, bong, bong. And everybody gathers in a circle and we pass around the two-horned plastic biking on it. Well, of course, you're all work from home, so you can't hear the dartboard. Uh, so it became a Zoom meeting. We just said, hey, let's, let's keep the stand-up tradition alive. Let's try a Zoom meeting. And it didn't work. Uh, it was chaotic. It was, we're, we pride ourselves on short meetings. So typically our daily standup would be about 13 minutes. Mm. And these were taking 25, 30, 35 minutes and people were getting antsy and they didn't, you know, the, and so I think standup was about to die. And so the team, their, their nature is to run small, simple experiments. And so somebody said, Hey, I know, how about when you sign into Zoom, just put a little chat message in saying, Rich is next with David. 
because we work in pairs, we report out in pairs. And that was one of the difficulties in this uh, Zoom meeting was you couldn't tell who the pair partners were. You couldn't tell who was next. When the plastic Viking helmet is moving around the circle, it took a lot of uh, organizational principles threw them out the window because it was like whoever has the token is speaking and you know who's next based on the pattern and you can tell who's paired together and we weren't seeing any of that in Zoom. So the team said, let's use the chat window and let's just line it up. And within a day, it was all fixed. Suddenly our stand-up meetings were going at 13 minutes again. There was higher energy. There was a lot more camaraderie in it because there wasn't all this stumbling and bumbling and fumbling around. And so it worked and it's been working ever since. And so very, very simple experiment. Um, I'm not even sure who came up with it, but it worked. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, just being open to to suggestions like that. I mean, you have to be in order to, to have, you know, traditions like that. Now, the, the I'm very intrigued by the, the stand-up meetings. You know, I've done some research and, you know, you allow guests in back pre-COVID, which is a really cool concept, too. Uh, just Actually, post-COVID, too. It just... Okay. Virtual. So we could talk about that because that's another experiment. Yeah, we're... please. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, you know, we, as you say, we've, we've, always, we've always opened our doors to the world. We wanna share with the world what we've learned. Not kind of a, hey, look at us, aren't we amazing and you should be just like us, that's not our intention, but simply to be an example. Because I think a lot of times people read books or they hear speakers at conferences, like, man, I get it, but boy, I'd love to see a living, breathing example and we are one of those places you can come. And so people would come by the thousands every year. We were expecting 5,000 visitors to Menlo this year. That's amazing. And um, from all over the world. I mean, they literally, every populated continent, people would get on airplanes, they'd fly, book a hotel room, come and see us for anywhere from a couple hours to several days. And so that all ended, of course, because there was no place to go see and nobody's traveling and nobody wants to get on an airplane. And it, it felt it felt unnatural for us to not have visitors. I mean, we were having typically one to three tours a day of Menlo. It was just part of our culture that you'd see visitors coming around seeing, being at stand-up, all that kind of stuff, asking us questions, made us better. And now gone, and gone for months. And then finally, one of our friends called up and said, how are you guys doing? You know, I'd love to see, you know, can you show us what uh, the transition? And, you know, much like the daily stand-up experiment, we said, well, would you like to take a virtual tour of a virtual memo? And they said, you can do that? And we're like, we don't know. Let's try <laughs> it. You know, let's see how it works. And it really worked well. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't like a... You know, you could, we, we always imagined a virtual tour is like somebody walking around with an iPad, you know, showing pictures of things. No, it was some pictures of the old Menlo and then how we transitioned to the new. We jumped on, in on some people who were in their Zoom meetings in their pairs and talked to them, and they just loved it. And so we put out a nice little blurb. They put out a blurb on LinkedIn about their experience, and we answered with a, hey, if you're interested in a tour, click this link. Tell us. Oh my gosh, we've done well over a hundred tours since June 5th. We, uh, we're doing, I'm right after this, I have to go lead a tour. Um, and uh, it's been delightful. And the neat thing is, talk about democratization of tours. People are coming now from all over the world who would have never been able to come before. 
right? The first tour we did after that one was a group from New Zealand. And then it was Hong Kong and Singapore and Japan and Malaysia and, uh, you know, and London and South America. And so they're just literally, we've touched over 40 countries, 35 states in hundreds of tours, no, well, over 100 tours since, uh, since June 5th. And so it's been remarkable uh, to watch that. And of course, it, it, it feeds that part of Menlo that wants to share. So it's been, been really neat to watch these kind of experiments. And I will tell you, I, for me, just watching how our team adapts to this sort of thing is delightful. I mean, it, it just, they blow me away every day with the things they come up with. I've heard that. I mean, going through this, you know, uh, uh, people, uh, stronger leaders, you know, they, they are very quick to give credit to their team for, for adapting and, and innovating. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a tone that you set. And, um, you know, thinking outside the box, you know, in, in today's world, it's needed now more than ever. I mean, you're, you're, I'm sure you're well aware of, of the incoming wave of automation and AI and, you know, that, that creativity and that, that thinking outside of the algorithm is so, so vital, you know, and uh, yeah. How do you, how do you make it okay? Like, how do you show your vulnerability to, to, to communicate that it is okay to, to fall on your face if you're trying something new? Probably by falling on your face. Uh, you know, I think my team saw, you know, and I wasn't, I didn't try and hide it. Uh, they adapted a lot faster than I did. I, I was back on my heels. I mean, I'm a guy who writes books about the way we put things together, um, why we do them the way we do them. I give talks around the world. I mean, for 19 years, we've been sort of counterculture and, and quite frankly, anti-work from home. Mm. It's not like we never did it, but we certainly did embrace it. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh no, you're, you're going to do this. Um, and uh, I can still remember uh, early on, uh, I'd probably tell this story to remind the team how much I was affected by this because uh, they've heard it many times. Uh, in that sort of week between it's clear we're going to have to leave and we haven't left yet, we haven't been told to leave, and the team's starting to peel away, you know, six at a time type of thing going home. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the amount of people in the office is getting smaller and smaller, but I was still there. Uh, and that took like four days, right, before all of a sudden, boom, we're gone. And in the midst of that, so it must have been Tuesday, March 17th. I mean, because it's Friday the 13th, right? Monday the 16th. I mean, we all remember these days and mm -hmm. what the heck was happening at that time. And I think that Tuesday, I looked at Erica, who's sitting next to me. Because I, I think one of the ways I, I do it, David, is just to be out in the room with everybody else. So they see the real me there. I'm not like tucked away in a corner office or anything. I'm, yeah. I'm out at the same five-foot tables as everybody else. And I looked at Erica and I said, what is today? She said, it's Tuesday. I said, no, what day of the week is it? And she said, it's Tuesday. And I said, no, 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 no. Like what day of the week is it? And she said, it's Tuesday. <laughs> and she went and talked to my co-founder. She says, I'm worried about Rich. <laughs> right. And he said, oh, he'll be fine. You know, he's just a little stressed right now. Um, but I will tell you, they adapted faster than I did. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I think part of Menlo is uh, because it isn't top-down hierarchical, um, 
they just, you know, if there's no like boss you go to and say, hey, what should we do today? They just start doing it. And then they would catch me up on what they're doing and they're still doing that. And, uh, and it's been delightful because I think the part that was unnerving for me personally was my calendar empty, mm. right? All of a sudden, yeah. all the trips I was planning, all the people I'm going to visit, all the tours I'm going to lead, all the classes I'm going to teach are just gone. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that was really unnerving. But fortunately, you know, the team structure was, no, we're just, we just keep plowing ahead. And they did. And it was really, it was fun to watch. And really satisfying for me and, and probably a great reminder that building an intentionally joyful culture now I realize is the most important thing we've ever done. How has that, that the idea of joy, how has that carried on through the pandemic? And would you say that that concept is even stronger now because of this shared experience? Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, there's, there's, there's nothing like a good crisis to test a whole bunch of systems <laughs> that you put in place, right? And I think, no question, and I, I you know, I, I don't want to draw some picture like everything's going perfectly for us, but I think the, the, um, there's probably two things that have been just foundational principles for us that have kept us going through these tough times. Number one is the peering construct of Menlo. You know, this is what Menlo looks like. You and me together all day long in a Zoom meeting, sharing a screen. And what number one thing that combats in this world, in the pandemic world, is loneliness and isolation. No one's ever alone at Menlo. Nobody's ever sitting there stuck wondering, who should I reach out to to help me get unstuck? And I can just hear this from other workers, you know, even in my family, my broader family, who are, who are working in isolation at home, and they're just frustrated because they don't have peers to, to, to call up and ask, or they do, but there's just that little extra obstacle that isn't like, hey, David, can you come here a second, right? But we still have that because you got your pair partner. And because you have your pair partner, if we're like, hey, we need help from James right now. And I might say, well, you know, what's he doing? And you're like, no, let's just call him, right? And so you get past those bumps. And then the other part is just our, our tradition of like raw transparency about how things are going. And they're not going that well. I mean, you know, just like every other business, you know, we've watched our revenues drop, we've watched our customers back off from projects and so on. And my general managerial edict over all the years of Menlo is, if you don't share information, people will make stuff up in its absence. Ooh. And they never make up a better story than reality. They always make up a worse story. And so we've been every Thursday, we share the financials with the team, and then we give them a chance to ask us questions. And they see us, you know, wrestling with what could we try? What could we do? How would this work? And then you see people volunteering up ideas or how about if we try this and that sort of thing. So um, to me, those, those are the things that are going to keep us alive and, and, uh, and moving through all of this. You can't laugh at that. Can't get enough of you can't laugh at that? Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. And when you become a patron, you'll get exclusive access to deleted footage from every episode. You'll be the talk of the town. Your friends 
will think you're the coolest person ever. Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. Find all sorts of new reasons to laugh at your friends for not being as cool as you. That collective, you know, togetherness that's so important and accepting other people's ideas. I mean, baseline of human interaction, uh, of human collaboration is accepting and adding to it. So, you know, does that play a role that that kind of that yes and sort of uh, rule of improvisation in, you know, when people offer ideas? Or like, how are you, how do you respond when you hear an idea and you know it's not a good idea? Well, you know, there's there's no committee on ideas at Menlo. You know, in other words, our mantra is take action over take a meeting. Mm-hmm. Try it. I, I, you know, you could bring up an idea. I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. But if I say that, it kills the idea on the spot. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, we'll give that some thought. We'll think about it. Yeah. Our, our team, they just go try stuff. And if it works, great. But the make mistakes faster thing also says, hey, this is just an experiment. We didn't know if it would work or not. And it didn't work. No big deal. And I think that's probably the other key is not making it a big deal. Mm-hmm. Try stuff. See if it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean abandon it. Might be adjusted, like our daily stand-up meeting. Right? It wasn't working, and we could have said, you know what, we're just not going to do stand-up anymore. And that would have been a big hit to the psyche of the team because they're like, this is a tradition. So they didn't accept that. It, well, it's not working, so we shouldn't do it. It was a failure. It was more like, okay, how do we make this a little better? What's what's the thing we can do today to make this just a little better? And I think that's a you know, a big part of it. And then I think the other part is, you know, just the way we built the culture and we can talk about like interviewing practices and everything that really foster this, but it is improv theater in the sense of, uh, you know, one of the, one of the tenets of improv is when you step onto the stage, your job is to be the least important person here and help everyone else around you succeed. And if there was a, a connection between Menlo and improv, that's it. That's such a powerful concept too, you know, that, I mean, there are so many valuable lessons that you can take from something that, that seems so innocuous, something that, you know, you wouldn't associate with the workplace that it, it's, I mean, it's so powerful. <laughs> well, it's the anti-hero culture, right? And that's mm-hmm. where I was in my past. I was, I was, I was the number one hero and I hired other heroes and I built a team of heroes and I was telling everyone, you're the most important person on your thing. You're the most important person on your thing. It doesn't build teamwork. It doesn't build trust. It doesn't build relationships. It builds silos, and those mm-hmm. silos are isolated from one another. Now, it's evident that you have a pretty good sense of humor. Is, was there a moment throughout this this pandemic where you took a step back and you said, you know what, someday I'm going to look back at this and laugh? <laughs> well, no question. There are there are significant lessons, and um, and you hope you, you hope to live to tell about it. Um, yeah, I, I would say that the, there were there were three laugh points that I've shared with the team and with the world since then, uh, because um, when people would come to Menlo on tours, and they would say things like, um, "Hey, this looks really amazing. What's the number one problem you have here that you haven't solved yet?" And my instant answer for 19 years was communicable disease. Huh. Right. I mean, you think about our environments. If somebody comes in with 
you know, a cough, a sneeze, a hack, a, a fever or something, and they work, and they're sitting next to their pair partner, and then we switch the partners. You know, we would often talk about this time of year, we'd start to get Menlo kennel cough. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> kennel cough, that's fine. <laughs> so, um, you know, you think about current environment and like, oh, communicable disease. Okay, get out of the building, get out as fast as you can. And then uh, people would say, well, you know, of all the things you do here at Menlo, what, what's like one thing that you just wouldn't let people take away from you that would kind of kill the whole thing? And I said, well, you know, if there was ever uh, a government edict that would say you can't work in pairs in a big open room, uh, you know, I'd probably say we're done. You know, th- that's going to be the end of minimal. And then I'd say, but why would the government ever say something? Like <laughs> so, you know, I, I've, I guess, you know, my point of all of this is I got to be really careful what I say going forward because those almost feel predictive now. Little did you know. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, but I think ultimately we learned, we've learned a ton through this my beliefs have fundamentally changed about work and how it should be constructed and put together. Will we go back into an office someday? Of course we will. No question. We, we still value the teamwork, the human energy, the camaraderie, the laughter of being together in a space. Mm-hmm. But will we have the same attitude if somebody says, Hey, the cable guys coming today. So I have to sit at home and wait for them. Can I work from home? The answer would be, of course you can work from home. Or, hey, my kid's sick today and he's just going to be on the couch watching videos. Is it okay if I work while I just stay in the house with him? Of course. Right? And I think those are different beliefs now about how we've constructed the team. Um, You know, it's funny. I hear a lot of people talk about the fact that uh, remote workforces that have been present even at Menlo uh, for a long time are now being elevated. Right? They, they feel like they're on a level playing field, whereas before they were kind of second, second class citizens, right? You know, they were being left out of meetings. Maybe they weren't being considered for promotions and that sort of thing. Well, Nick, one of our uh, programmers, he worked for us for a few years, married a girl from Moscow. Uh, and who knew you could even do this? He, he moved to Moscow <laughs> to be with her. I didn't even know that was a possibility. And so, but the team so loved Nick, they said, hey, we, this was couple of years ago now said we want to run the experiment we want to see if nick could continue to work for us from moscow i'm like well okay you know uh, how's that going to work he's eight time zones away from us they're like we don't know let's run the experiment and see so it has worked worked really well for two years nick comes into work at five in the afternoon works till one in the morning they've had a child in, uh, in the meantime uh little george one of the menlo babies now um but when the pandemic hit Nick went from, hey, we really like having Nick around to, no, Nick, tell us how this works. Tell us what we can learn from what you've learned, right? Nick was kind of our, our expert on work from home. And so he was invaluable in those first few weeks, teaching us things that he learned about working in a remote way. It's like, thank God we ran that experiment. Right. What a paradigm shift, though. I. That's that's very I don't know if ironic is the word, but the fact that you know what what you used to say was your big, biggest weakness, the kennel cough, and what what you used to say was you know if you take that away, it's it's going to hurt us. That's actually the solution to the the, the yeah. weakness. That's that's yeah. interesting. 
I mean, it kind of takes that sense of humor to make that connection now. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing, my, uh, you know, in my old days, uh, in my previous life, um, I, I got to the point where I was really despondent about my career. I didn't know where I was going to go next. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was actually contemplating starting a canoe camp in the Boundary Waters, which my wife and my daughter still laugh at me at. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but now my kids are convinced I will never retire. Right? They're like, why would you? You're having so much fun at work. Why would you retire? And yet in the middle, in the early part of this pandemic, I think there was a day where I uttered the word retirement twice. <laughs> My co-founder looked at me like, what? Um, and uh, I haven't done it since then. Uh, the joy is definitely back for me too. But it, I, again, I think it was, a, it was a harder adjustment for me than the rest of the team. Sure. And <laughs> I mean, I totally understand that when you're buried in it, you know, I mean, I lost so many speaking gigs, you know, live stand-up comedy was gone. So there's two things that I do that I can't do. And, you know, at first I was, I was despondent about it, but then, you know, I, I've been pushing this idea of, of innovation uh, using, you know, using humor as that tool to connect where we are to where we want to be. And I'm not even taking my own advice. And so, you know, that's that, that moment where it's like, oh, wow, that sounds silly that I even said that. You know, we had a guy in our team, Dan, he, uh, he has retired and since passed away. Uh, but I, and Dan was um, just one of the stalwart members of the Menlo team uh, of, over our first probably 14 or 15 years. And um, I remember him saying once, he said, you know, I've never worked at a place that had so much laughter in it. And it was funny to reflect on it then because I probably started paying attention to it more. It was always there, mm -hmm. but suddenly you realize that that is part of the joy at Menlo is just that camaraderie, that human energy, that ability to poke fun at ourselves. We're kind of a sarcastic group too. We're kind of a little bit um, uh, cynical about our industry. Uh, we have a lot of catchphrases we use to poke fun at our industry, you know, like, stupid users and write dummies books for those poor people and all that kind of stuff, um, which are just dumb ways to run an industry, which is typically the way the software industry works. And, uh, you know, in that first baby, uh, which is 25 memo babies ago, it, it was funny what had happened at a certain point, the baby got into the mix with the laughter piece. And, you know, Maggie was probably, I don't know, I guess about nine months old at this point. She's coming into work every day with her mom. She's hearing all the noise of Menlo. And she starts making what we ultimately affectionately referred to as dolphin sounds. Right? She just in the middle of the day and all the noise, she just go. And the whole team would quiet down. And then there would just be this uproarious laughter. And it didn't take her more than two or three times to figure out she was the source of that laughter. And then every single day, she starts making the dolphin sounds and getting the response, you know. And what's funny is we often refer to how technologists talk to each other as dolphins speak. Okay. You know, two very intelligent creatures making noises at one another and, and no one else can understand what they're saying, but it's clear there's a communication going on. Um, 
And so this became like the next version of dolphin speak between Maggie and the team. And, uh, and at a certain point, Tracy finally decided the mom was like, okay, this is enough. You know, she, so that's when Maggie went off to daycare at that point, because she was just, she was like the stand-up comedian at nine months old <laughs> in the room. And the team absolutely loved it. And I think that probably for us really cemented the idea that having a baby in the workplace brings a tremendous amount of energy in. Right. I mean, you have dogs, you know, I've, I've listened to you talking about Menlo cats now that we're working from home. I mean, that, that's a little bit harder to manage in the office, bring a cat. Yeah, I don't bed. think the cats would work. Although there was one guy who tested the limits beyond compare. Uh, he brought in his pet rats to work. It's a health code. <laughs> he, well, let me tell you how that worked out. So they would literally sit on his shoulders mm -hmm. with his pair partner there, right? Mm -hmm. And and we were all like, how are we going to break this to him? This isn't okay. And it was clearly he's one of these guys who's going to test the limits. Fortunately, the problem solved itself relatively quickly. One of our clients came in and he's, you know, coming in for normal stuff, show and tell, planning game, that sort of thing. And he starts, his nose starts running, his eyes start watering, his throat starts getting scratchy. And he leans into our team. He's like, hey, guys. Um, I don't want to raise your alarm or anything, but do you have a rat problem here? <laughs> what? What do you mean? He says, look, I, I'm having a severe allergic reaction right now, and I used to work in a lab setting, and the only thing that gives me this kind of reaction are rats. And so, again, I don't want to raise your alarms, but I think you might have a rat problem here. We're like, yeah, we do. It's not what you're imagining. Yeah. So we went to the gentleman of the team and said, they can't come in anymore. Stop, you know? And we were about to do that anyways, because it was just uncomfortable for obvious reasons. And there might've been a, ultimately a poor interaction between the rats and the dogs, I'm just guessing. But yeah. But we had a really convenient excuse to get those rats out of here now and don't ever bring them back again. That's uh, but yeah, we that was the only really sort of like beyond the pale experiment where it was like, no, you yeah. can't do that. <laughs> that is, that is pushing the envelope oh my goodness yeah well uh i don't want to take up any more of your time i know you have a meeting coming up uh so let's just kind of close this out um i've had i mean we could i, I could sit here and, and talk forever but if you could give one piece of advice to a leader that is struggling with holding their team together right now and but also like trying to find a, a way to incorporate joy and and well-being into the experience how would like what piece of advice would you give in a lot of my talks now i i draw this simple model metaphor if you will for a human organization and i use an airplane um and i talk about the forces that work on an aircraft and relate them to the forces that work on a human organization there's the lift of human energy the weight of bureaucracy the thrust of purpose and the drag of fear Right. And, uh, but and then I add one more thing because I think this is the part that's under all of our control and we could literally start next minute, not even just tomorrow, but literally the minute after this session ends. And when the pilot pulls a plane out onto the runway, gets full throttle, at a certain point, the plane hits takeoff speed and it won't naturally lift off the ground until the pilot gives just one more little input 
they pull back just a little bit on the yolk, just a little bit, not a lot. They don't yank it back or anything. They just pull back on that yolk a little bit. And an angle is created between the nose of the aircraft and the runway, and the plane jumps off the ground, right? All the, condition, all the other conditions are right for that to happen. That angle has a delightful name that I just can't ignore. In piloting terms, it's called a positive attitude. And so each of us as leaders, or wherever we are in the organization, leadership can occur from anywhere. You don't need a title. You don't need a corner office. You don't need a spot on the org chart to be a leader. Any one of us can lead. We have a choice every day. No matter what the circumstances are, we can choose to bring a positive attitude into the workplace. And I will tell you, that becomes infectious. You know, you earlier on when you were introducing me, you were saying, I'm the joy guy, right? I have found that if I go to a meeting, if I give a talk, if I'm with a group of people and I say the word joy just once in that meeting, not a minute goes by in the rest of the meeting where people don't say the word joy, joy, joy. It's like popcorn kernels popping. Mm -hmm. And so this is within our power as leaders to choose right now. No matter what situation, we can choose how we respond to it. We can choose to respond positively or negatively. We can double down on negative. That's easy, right? Being pessimistic, being completely destructively sarcastic about something. Or we can choose what I consider to be a more natural but sometimes harder route in today's society. I'm going to choose to look at what, what good can come out of this, what positive things can happen from this. Uh, and it can start as a simple smile, a hello, uh, how are you doing, and listening. But bringing that positive energy can get our human teams off the ground every single day. You reiterated it's a choice. It is a choice. Yep. It's, yeah. Uh, I think that's... I think the what you're doing, David, to bring humor into the workplace is critical, right? I mean, it's the thing I talk about in my first book about noise and energy, mm -hmm. right? That's why we like being in a room together because there's just something that feeds our spirit when we're around other people and we're hearing laughter and camaraderie and human energy. That is infectious. And it, it, it's like a self-fulfilling cycle at that point. It is. It's, it's such a powerful tool it's uh I, I call it a laugh hack you know it's like a life mm -hmm. hack but just a little bit more lighthearted. and it's also you know humor isn't just the ability to generate laughs or tell jokes it's yeah. the ability to connect where we are with where we want to be in creative ways in ways we haven't thought of before and uh, right now you know you're you're doing that whether you know it or not you're using your humor in a way that is that is solving problems, that's helping people. And uh, it's, it's also listening and you know, it's collaborating. So, you know, I wanna thank you for doing that and, and bringing that energy and that, that positive attitude to the people that, with whom you interact. Yeah, I, I'm one of my favorite quotes that I use in almost every talk I give is from John Naisbitt. He wrote a Megatrends in 1982 and he said, the most important breakthroughs of the 21st century. Now, I remember he was writing this in 1982, so I really appreciate his vision, right? He was a futurist. He said, the most important breakthroughs of the 21st century are not going to occur because of technology, 
but because of an expanding concept of what it means to be human. Mm. I think that's what we spent the last hour talking about. Yeah. Because here's, here's the rub for all of us, no matter where we are, what industry we're in, what domain we're part of, or what part of leadership we're in. There are only four things left that aren't going to be AI'd away. Creativity, imagination, innovation, and invention. Those are uniquely human qualities. And they're born out of a part of our brain that literally shuts down when we're afraid. And so by keeping ourselves out of the fear place, particularly the manufactured fear that we often use to motivate, right? Mm -hmm. We keep ourselves out of that place. We stay in a human place. And I literally think humor is one of the ways we do that. If we can laugh at ourselves, we can laugh at the situation. That's going to feed that idea that, hey, we're going to be okay. We can do this together. Look at how much fun we have, even in the face of a storm. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Gold Knox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Uh, hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, a professional. Uh, he makes podcasting easy. And uh, if, you're, if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.